I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started a couple of weeks ago. Matter of fact, we are in the third week of a two-week series that we are calling Full Circle. And uh, in this uh, series, we are really just taking a moment to come back to the heart of who it is we believe Jesus has called the church to be and who it is we believe Jesus has called us to be as a church. Because listen, at the end of the day, we don't want to do that thing where we get up and then we talk about things and we meet week after week and say we're about something that we're not actually about. And so this is a great opportunity for us to come back and ask the question, are we really being about what we believe Jesus has called us to be about? Are you really being about what you believe Jesus has called us to be about. Otherwise, at the end of the whole thing, we will have missed the point, had a lot of church services, but never lived up to what we believe is called us to be about. And we as a church exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ, where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play. We believe each person who is a part of the church, is uniquely called to show and share the love of Jesus in their unique spheres of influence. And at the end of it all, we're going to have to ask the question, did I play my part in that? Did you play your part in that? Or is that just something we talked about? And what we really wanted to do was show up on church at church week after week after week and take in but not live out what it is that we believed he had called us to. Um, so we want to learn to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. And we want to learn to do that in in the most practical of ways. Uh, honestly, full disclosure, last week we had a conversation in this second service and I asked y'all like, Hey, has anyone had an opportunity to do the thing that we say we live and exist to do? And I don't love you any less, but... It was an underwhelming response, which I think for us was just another reminder. We've got to continue to talk about this, and we've got to continue to give very practical handles and entry-level places where we can all start so that this becomes the pattern of our lives. And um, so this morning, we're going to revisit something that we talked about, um, if you were here, a couple of years ago or so. And we're going to look at a story in the book of John. And this story is really going to give all of us a really simple place to start in living a life of sharing the love of Jesus, sharing the hope of Jesus with the people in the world around us. So if you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in John chapter Nine, John chapter 9, a funky little hilarious story that just helps me love the Bible uh, uh, that much more. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the, the verses are going to appear um, on the screen. And also, if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, please come and see us. We'd love to get one in your hands. And also, if you don't have the Bible on any of your electronic devices, then... Let's just pray right now. Uh, Matter of fact, we'll give you a moment to do that. But uh, John chapter 9, John chapter 9, and uh, we are going to start reading at verse number 1. Verse number 1. Again, some reminders of ways that we can practically start to live this out, um, each and every one of us. Here, 
funky story commences. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is how the story starts. Jesus and his disciples, his followers, um, come across a blind beggar on the streets. And a festive conversation ensues with a fascinating question. Who is to blame for the fact that for at least three decades, this man has been without sight. He has been unable to see. Insinuation, because obviously no one is this messed up. No one is this broken without someone having done something wrong. More to the point, the question is, um, whose sin invited God's judgment that he lashed out on a little baby and took his sight? Whose fault is this? And Jesus answers, um, his condition is actually not the direct consequence of anyone's sin. Jesus says neither he or his parents sinned. Jesus doesn't mean they're sinless. He's just saying their sin had nothing to do with his condition. This isn't someone's fault. And then he says something so profound. Oh, no. This happened so that the stage might be set for God to show up and show off his greatness in this story. Wow. And I believe that ought to be the starting place for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. This ought to be our starting assumption whenever we encounter struggle or brokenness in our world. What a response. This ought to be our starting place. Matter of fact, we as the followers of Jesus Christ ought to start here. Please, 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 God, may this be one of those moments that is setting the stage for you to show up and show off your great glory. Matter of fact, this ought to be the starting place in some of our own stories. I don't understand how I ended up in this broken situation. Well, maybe God is setting the stage to show up and show off his greatness for his glory because i think like his disciples we are too often way too content to reduce people's hurt and people's struggle to philosophical and theoretical discussions like people are puzzles to solve a case for a a really festive 
conversation about whose fault is it that they ended up in this messed up marital situation? Whose fault is it that they're struggling with this particular area of addiction? Which side are they on? I wonder what cultural things that they have bought into that has landed them at such a place where they are now suffering in this way or struggling in this way. Let's pontificate. Let me ask a question. Throw this out for festive conversation. And Jesus would say, I think that's what he's saying to his disciples. Y'all are missing the point of this brokenness in your path. Maybe brokenness is just an opportunity for God to show up and show off in this story. Which makes me wonder if we don't way too often miss incredible opportunities, the very opportunities we pray for because of the way we think of or look at the struggle or the brokenness of the hurt in the lives around us. I wonder if we don't miss the opportunities that we pray for because we don't start by seeing brokenness as an opportunity for God to show off. The disciples are more than content to discuss The blindness of this man. Matter of fact, if Jesus had answered their question and said, well, I think it was actually his parents' fault. Then what? I told you, Peter. (laughs) Told you. You owe me a denarii. Told you. I was right. And they would have just moved on. Because all it was was a case to solve. No care involved in the mix. It would have just been a conversation for them. I wonder which one of them messed up because, man, I hear their marriage is on the rocks. What do you think? I don't know. Let's get together for coffee and talk about that situation, right? That's how we encounter brokenness. Like what on earth could have possibly happened to make them come to the place where they are now choosing that as a pronoun? Do you think they're on that side? And do you think that the cultural and political environment helped? You know what I think is wrong with our culture these days? And we pontificate from a distance as if people are nothing more than puzzles to solve and fun, festive conversations to be had. The first question we should ask when we encounter brokenness, how might God be looking to show up and show off in this story through his representatives, which are Wait, that's me. How might God want to show up and show up through me as his ambassador? As though Christ were making an appeal. We're making a move through us. I don't know if you knew, but that's who we are as a church. The body of Christ. The extension of who he is in the stories of the broken people in our world. I believe there are constantly opportunities for us to meet people where they are and show and share the love of Jesus Christ. If our perspective shifts a little bit, because we no longer view people from a worldly point of view, although we once viewed Christ this way, we do so no longer. There is a new perspective that we ought to bring into the stories 
of the people in the world around us, which should lead us to ask questions when we see someone in a hurting situation or struggling situation or something is wrong, broken, not right, that, man, we should ask questions like, how can I help? To think about how we can act for them on Christ's behalf. To ask questions like, how might he heal um, so that we can pray with people or pray for people? And by the way, there's something so powerful as we talk about sharing the love of Jesus, about telling the person, I'm going to pray for you about that. There's something even more powerful about asking the person, can I pray with you about that? Like right now. As we'll see here in a second, by the way, this was a setup for a miracle in this story. And I wonder how many opportunities I've missed just because I'm talking about it instead of entering in and asking questions. How can I help and how might God want to heal? I wonder even in my own family if there are things I'm not so annoyed by. I'm like, and I miss the ways in which God may actually want to heal. And it's like, just ask me right now. Or to ask questions like, how can we share hope? Maybe there's an opportunity to speak about Jesus in that particular situation, I had an opportunity this past week with a, a friend who's not a believer and was just talking about feeling like, you know, just struggling and sad and helpless. And like, I just, I just don't even understand what the point was. And by the grace of God, the spirit reminded me. And all I said was, man, it's so interesting that my own faith journey with Jesus started in a moment like that, like feeling like I, I couldn't, I didn't know the point, I didn't understand it. And I'm like, man, this stuff we're talking about, church is, that church is actually helping, you know. Um, but instead of just thinking like, oh, that's, of course, because you guys go drinking every weekend, right? Um, I want to do this so much better, starting in my own home. Looking at hurt and brokenness and asking, how might God want to show up and show off his glory through me? Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's all of the above. I don't know. But I just wonder, is there someone who's hurt or brokenness that you've become aware of in your daily sphere of life? Where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play. Maybe it's somebody at school every day just comes and complains about the same thing. Either something that's happening at home or something that's happening in their body, and you're now at the eye roll phase. You're like, oh my gosh. Are you seriously still blind today? How long has it been? Like since birth? Gosh. Right? Versus asking the question, might this be a setup, Lord? Might this be a setup? This thing she keeps talking about that's going on at home, this thing she keeps talking about that's going on in our nation. That has her all up in arms. Is there someone who the Lord might be setting up in your world? Don't evaluate them from a distance. Engage. I assure you it's an opportunity to either act for them, to pray with them or for them, or to speak to them. It's a matter of what perspective you bring into your world. If we're not too busy trying to diagnose causes and political sides and, and, you know, 
what the issue is and, and how it got. No, nope, we'll start to see brokenness as an opportunity. Verse 4. Um, Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is why this church exists. We will not have forever to get this right, y'all. Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, listen, as long as we have time right now, we've got to make the most of these moments. We've got to make the most of these opportunities. There is coming a time when it will be too late and we won't be able to do this anymore. There is a sense of urgency with which we ought to live. It's day. The, the grace door is wide open. The portal for heaven's work is wide open. And we are the ambassadors. Then Jesus engages this man and he acts on his behalf in a kind of gross way. Verse 6, after saying this, he, Jesus, true story. This makes me love the Bible so much and believe it so much. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Come on, if you did not believe the Bible was true, you now do. Because I'm just asking, like, Who makes up a religious document to try and get people to follow a dude who spits on people? Why, that to me seems like a detail I would leave out if I was trying to make up a compelling story. But alas, there there is. (laughs) This guy's been blind from birth, which means some of his other senses are very heightened. Like his hearing. He can hear Jesus saying some things. He can hear some shuffling. And then he hears. (sighs) (laughs) Is that what I. (laughs) There is no way that. No, that's slimy. Yeah, I may not have my sense of sight, but I have my sense of that is so gross. But yet it's there in the Bible. Um, And the reason Jesus spits in the dirt and makes this muddy, stewy substance is because we have no idea why. That's the other thing. I'm like, why is that even in there, Jesus? Why do that? That's not nice. But there it is in the Bible. No clue. Ask him when you see him. Verse 7. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Woo! Again, let's just keep in mind, this was something the disciples would have just moved on from and talked about. Jesus entered in, and this guy came home seeing. Not how this guy Saw his day going, pun intended. Um, He had no idea when he woke up, his condition that he had lived with all of his life would be reversed. He came home seeing only Jesus. Um, By the way, there's a little repeated theme in scripture that shows up here again. Where Jesus essentially heals this man and then gives him an instruction to follow in order for him to fully realize his healing. Almost like I've done my thing. Now you need to go wash. You need to go wash. 
And man, I cannot help but think how many of our miracles personally might be on us right now. I wonder, I wonder if there's an area in your life where Jesus has continued to convict and compel you. Hey, you've got to take care of this. You've got to take care of this. Whether it's a relationship you need to walk away from, whether it's, it's forgiveness you need to ask for, whether it's an act of generosity you need to step into. He's been on you. You need to go wash your eyes. You need to go do this thing. You need to go do this thing. And you're like, mm, that'll be weird though. I don't want to do it. That's very uncomfortable. I just wonder if for some of us, the miracle we've been praying for isn't now on our end to follow through so that we can fully realize it. I don't know what that might be, but I'm just saying if you're praying for anything and the spirit of God is compelling you to do a certain thing or release a certain thing, go wash your eyes. Just go wash your eyes. Like it's, but that's going to be like weird. How do I even explain? Because I think it's one of the ways Jesus invites us to express faith in him. To express faith in him. Because I'm just telling you right now that if I had a shoulder injury and somebody came and punched me in the shoulder and said, there you go. Now drive to Walmart, circle four times and you'll be good. driving to Walmart I'm like that is weird and it's not right I'm going home making some calls because I still know some brothers who are thugs they've not been completely transformed from that and we'll make this situation right no this is Jesus asking the guy to do that you just spat in my face and you're asking me to now take a trip leave my begging spot Mm-mm. and for some of us we might be in the, I'm not going to Walmart Mm-mm, I'm not going to wash. And just like, all right, and keep walking around like that. Just say, um, can you imagine this moment for this guy, though, seeing for the very first time? This walk would have been full of just wonder and discovery as he is seeing for the first time leaving that pool. That would have been awesome. Like, Whoa, people are uglier than I thought. You know, like camels. Yeah, they all, those are super weird. Like, this is the green everyone has been talking so much about. It's a pretty cool color. I pictured it a little bluer, whatever, you know. I thought I was black, you know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, I'm canceled. Um... Anyway, people notice that he's walking around without help and all see in the eyes and stuff like that. And they freak out and they start doing what people do. They start arguing. It's just weird. They argue about why he's in this condition. And then the Lord heals him. And they argue about it. It's, it's everywhere. Verse 8 says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't that the same man who used to sit and beg? Verse 9, some claimed he was. Others said, no, nah, he only looks like him. <laughs> this, the Bible's funny. But he himself insisted, no, I'm, I'm the man. That ain't him. Doppelganger is an apparition. Fake news. Um, and sometimes you just got to stop speaking for people and just ask them. He's like, yo, it's me. No, nah, we don't think so. Because so, so, no, the guy we're talking about... Um, 
he's, he's totally blind. Verse 10, okay, well, how then were your eyes opened, they asked. And this is so great. This is so good. And this is ultimately what we want to see. Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Have you ever heard a more concise recap of what happened? If this guy preached at Mission Point, y'all would be out by 11.45 every week. (laughs) It's just like what happened was Jesus spit mud wash see. He doesn't exaggerate, he doesn't explain, he doesn't embellish, just the simple, cold, straight, hard facts. I like this. Well, they're not convinced. Verse 12, "Mm, where is this man, they asked. "Mm -hmm." He said, "Mm -hmm. I'm just walking around trying to see stuff. Thank you very much. Sup, girl? (laughs) What's your birth sign? Right? They don't like this guy's testimony, so they, they abduct him. Um, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The religious powers, the religious authorities, the people who were in charge of that town. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Ooh diabolical by the way this is the only thing that makes me wonder why jesus got in the dirt and maybe did this little mud situation you know was just just to mess with the whole religious system like sabbath i'm not supposed to be working (laughs) right because he could have just spoken i don't know what is i don't know again i'll ask him if you if you don't ask him first Um, Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees also asked this man how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Fellas, I said this to your friends already. Jesus, spit mud, wash, see. Right? These guys are like sidebar. And it sparks a fiery theological conversation among the religious elite. Which is so amazing. There is a ex-blind dude who can now see. Let's have a theological debate about this. Okay. Go ahead. Miss the glory. Go ahead. Um, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Really? Really? A guy... Could not see, now he sees in the Sabbath. Yep. This is religion, man. Adventures in missing the point. But others asked, well, but how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided, as religious folks tend to be. (laughs) Ah! Is Jesus, is he from Jesus? Is he not? Is he from God? Is Is he not? um, Let's vote. Nope. Let's interrogate this guy some more. Verse 17. So they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? 
It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, uh, he's a prophet. They're like, defend this guy. Defend him. You're the guy whose eyes he opened. Guy's like, um, I'm going to go with who's a prophet for 500, please. <laughs> Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. And so they sent for the man's parents. Grown man. Okay. Verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Say, we just got here. We haven't even said anything, right? Um, But almost like there's a standard family response, just like their boy, we can only tell you what we know. Verse 20. We know he's our son. We still claim him. The parents answered. Which, as you see here in a second, is a big deal. Um, And we know he was born blind. And... um, And in one of the funniest exchanges, I think, in Scripture, these parents do what I think us parents need to do a little bit more, and they let their kid speak for himself because he's not a kid anymore. They're like, "Um, yeah, he may have been born blind, but he's always been able to speak. Look at verse 21. But uh, how he can see now or who opened his eyes, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> he's of age. He will speak for himself. That is so good. Like, ask him. He's a grown man, shaves. He's just, just potty trained. Ask him. But really, they are not deferring to their son. They are actually being pretty cowardly right now. They are throwing their son under the bus. And John tells us that, verse 22. Um, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. Verse 23, that was why his parents said, "Mm -mm, he's of age, ask him. They're like, do you know how much shame we as a family would experience if we got excommunicated from the synagogue? Are you kidding me? We have spent... The last few decades defending against people who believe that we've done something so vile that God punished us by putting blindness on our son. We've lived with that stigma. Now to get kicked out of the synagogue, no thank you very much. Verse 24, second time they summoned the man who had been blind. This is getting tedious. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Agree with us that Jesus is a shady sinner. Guys are, mm mm-hmm. Standard response. Mm -hmm. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. all your religious Pharisees speak. All I know is that all my life I was blind. A few hours ago, again, spit, mud, wash, see, and that guy, Jesus, he's the one who did it. That's all I know. And I'm telling you, church, if we are going to learn the art of being people who share the love of Jesus, this is one of the simplest ways to start. All I know 
is I couldn't, now I can. All I know is I didn't, now I do. All I know is I hadn't, now I have. All I know is Jesus did it. That's all I know. This is so powerful. So powerful. Um, they're like, no, details please. Verse 26. Then they asked him, um, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> oh, man. Um, and he answered, because he's had enough. I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Best line ever. Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> That is so snarky. You guys are super sprung with this Jesus guy. What, are you auditioning to join his traveling discipleship team? (laughs) Oh, this is classic. Oh, they don't think so. They are so ticked. The Christian cuss words, they come out, man. The insults, they come a-flying. This story goes PG-13 in a hurry. Verse 28. They hurled insults at him. folks by the way and said you you're this fellow's disciple we're disciples of Moses we know that God spoke to Moses but as for this fellow we don't even know where he comes from whoa he's a nobody and you're a dummy dumbhead for following him they get super juvenile like this is absolute defensiveness that turns into this you know insulting war Moses, now he's a real prophet. That's who we roll with. Jesus, we don't even know anything about him or where he came from, you know. Uh, And this is the guy's point. Like, that's interesting. So, Jesus, you guys don't know anything. You don't come from the same stock? Because he seems to be able to do some stuff that is blessed by God. And you guys are not the... mm, Maybe the problem is, right... And they can feel the insinuation. They are not happy. But they're all about, no, I mean, Jesus, he's a plastic prophet. You know, psh, he's a chump. No one even knows where he came from. He's got no Twitter followers. You know, um, our prophet is better than your prophet, nani nani boo boo. And so it goes on. This guy is, is great. It's like, listen, I've been dealing with blindness all my life. Sticks and stones. If I'm going to be bothered by what, by what you all have to say, or even, frankly, what you threaten to do, because I can see now. Then he gets even more sarcastic than a 16-year-old girl at the Simfukwe home. Um, Verse 30, the man answered, now this is remarkable, he says. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. See what he's saying? You don't know him. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Y'all weren't ever able to do it. Um... He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Wow, theological lesson from an ex-blind beggar. I don't know much, but would God do such great things through him who you claim to have no association with, who seems to be on God's side? If he were a sinner, maybe the sinners in this story are the ones I'm talking to. Verse 34, to this they replied, they went off the hinges. 
you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I don't know if you've seen how religious folk get when they get mad. They lose their bearings and they get into these social media insulting exchanges. They will say stuff you're like, whoa, bro. Like for real? Yeah, because they disagree when they represent. They go off. What do you even know about God? He obviously hates you so much that he cursed you with blindness from birth. Who says something like that? He hates you. Don't talk to us about God. You don't know him. He doesn't know you. And he frankly doesn't like you. Oh, and you're canceled. And then they kick him out of the synagogue. Don't come back to church. Verse 35. Jesus um, heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? This is so cool. Jesus hears that this guy got kicked out of church and he goes looking for him. Because I, I, I don't know if you knew. Um, contrary to popular opinion. Being in the religious majority is not a mark of godliness. Jesus doesn't go to the synagogue. He goes to the streets to find this guy. Jesus doesn't go and survey the religious leaders to find out what their opinion of this man was. He doesn't care what they think. He goes straight to the man. And it's almost as though he goes to the man to tell him, I don't care what the church says about you. I don't care what the religious majority says about you. Really, at the end of the day, there is only one question that has the power to determine whether you're in or whether you're out. Do you believe in me? Woo! I'm telling you, church, we got we to gotta get used to that. All of the different standards and levels we put on people, like you got to clean this up and you got to stop that and you got to say this and you got to call yourself that and you got to behave this way and you got to do. Jesus is like, mm-mm, one question. One question. <laughs> I don't care about all of their standards. I'm asking you this question. Do you believe in me. And by the way, that's the question I'm asking you. You can come to church as much as you want, volunteer as much as you want, give as much as you want. None of that matters. In the great balance of eternity, it only comes down to one question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only one who can save you from your sins and make you right with God? Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, let's roll. Church will do nothing for you. My opinion about you as one of the leaders. One question. Do you believe in me? This is so powerful. Um, this guy is like, well, uh, who is this Savior, Messiah, Son of Man, Sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. He's ready. He's ready. One of the reasons why we always want to enter into brokenness and act on Jesus' behalf. This guy would not have been ready to listen to any of those religious leaders who are interrogating him, labeling him, do all those things. But Jesus, who entered in and came and found him in the street, this guy's like, I'll talk to you. 
Just saying, verse 37, Jesus answered, you have now seen him because I just opened your eyes. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And this is the prayer. We want to see a community whose eyes are opened to the face of Jesus Christ, and they worship him in faith. This is the outcome we ultimately long for. But baby steps. We wanted to look at this story for a much simpler reason. Um, Because I think it just so beautifully illustrates one of the easiest ways for us to start to share Jesus with the people in our world. And anyone can do it. Just share what Jesus did. Cold, hard, straight facts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus says about his followers, about his church, about this movement that he would create. This is true about you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit has come on you and you are now a witness. And did you know what a witness's job is? Just tell your firsthand experience. Just tell your story. Just tell what happened for you. Um, so uh, Jesus spit mud, wash sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all this guy does. That's all a witness is. A witness just testifies to a first-hand experience. Y'all will be my witnesses, and you would testify to your first-hand experiences with me. It's really interesting, by the way, that in the first church, the early church, the disciples saw Jesus Watched him live, they saw him die, they saw him buried, and then they saw him when he rose again from the dead. And their job was to testify because they were witnesses to that. That was their first-hand experience. So that's what they testified about. Listen, this is what we saw Jesus do. And they shared that. They testified to that. A witness is simply someone who testifies first-hand And I'm not even saying that it's talking about your salvation story. It's just a willingness to testify to anything Jesus has done for you. That he has done to you. That he has done with you. Any Jesus story, anything that you would attribute to Jesus in your life personally, would you consider sharing that? Talking more about that. John 9 is a story about a witness. And I'm telling you, if Jesus has done anything for you, anything, then you can share about Jesus with the people in the world around you. Um, And if you have a social media account, you know how to testify, right? That's all you do. Testify. 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 My mango salad. Testify. 
I ate it. It was delicious. That's firsthand experience. That's what social media does. So I know you know how. You talk about all kinds of stuff. And can we be honest? You talk about all kinds of stuff you don't even know very much about. But you still testify. That's what we are being called to do. If you have a story of something Jesus did for you when you just couldn't. Or just wouldn't. Or didn't. If you have any story of something Jesus did for you. Go ahead and talk about it when you have a chance. Share your firsthand Jesus stories. What's the most impossible thing you've seen Jesus do for you? Testify. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus healed my shoulder. Uh, no one punched me and told me to go to Walmart, but he, uh, he healed my shoulder. And it was strange, man. A couple of people just asked, have you had an issue with your shoulder? I'm like, mm, how do you know? That's weird, you know. And then they prayed for my shoulder and said this was connected to some hateful things people have said. And Jesus is going to heal that. I'm like, okay. It's like a fiery dart that's been shot into your shoulder. I'm like, that's weird. I said, so what are you guys going to do? We're going to take it out. Like, that's super strange. I'm glad I'm not in a synagogue trying to explain that one. Um, and then my shoulder felt like it was, had been bruised, like somebody had worked on it for a couple of days, and then it was gone. Jesus did that. And I just wanted you all to know. I'm testified. I'm a witness. And the beauty of being a witness, and let me say this very, very clearly. You are called to be a witness, not an attorney. The beauty of being a witness, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not explaining the medical, scientific, I don't know. So how did the tendons, all I know Shoulder issue, shoulder healed. Jesus. Mm. Sharing firsthand stories. Um, I messed up so badly. I, I never imagined that I could, you know, and Jesus forgave me. Share it. Tell somebody. Man, my marriage was broken. We were barely speaking. And now we speak a couple of sentences a week, but we speak. Jesus. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. He provided financially for us. We weren't sure what we were going to do. Testify. I was stuck in addiction and, and now I'm, I'm functional. Some people prayed with me. That's Jesus. Well, then do you mind explaining to us how the addiction cycle? I, mm -hmm. I'm just telling. I'm a witness. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not a judge. I've been called to be a witness. I was so depressed and some people prayed. And now I feel like I'm coming out of a cave. The doctor said there was no way. Look at me. Mobility. Testify. If you have a story of something Jesus did for you and you just couldn't, start pointing to him. Share what he did. Anyone can do that. If you believe he's done anything for you, you can share that. I was speaking to some people this morning who said he gave me some friends when I felt really lonely. Girl, testify about that. 
He enabled me to play on my sports team even though I've had injuries. And this person was like, that's Jesus. Yeah, I testify about that. He woke me up this morning, put breath in my left lung. Testify about that. Just testify. Don't have to be an expert. Just a witness. And last thing, forget the response. Forget the response. Uh, Share what Jesus has done and forget the response. Again, you're a witness. You're not an attorney. And it is good for us as a church to learn this phrase. The, The response is not my responsibility. I think sometimes that's why we get all just jammed up. Because I feel like I'm supposed to share something. And then they're supposed to say, what? Jesus. No. Their response is actually, I have not been called to be a response-like manager. I've been called to be a witness. You notice in this story, the response was not great. This guy shared what Jesus did and everyone argued with him. They dragged him into places and he ended up leaving by himself. But he did his job. Just tell the story. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. Um, Man, I shared just with a friend the other day about something that Jesus did. And it was like, okay. So, uh, it went nowhere that I know. Because the response is not my job. The Holy Spirit is all over that. Just let's start by sharing a story, by giving Jesus credit, even by something as simple as somebody tells you a story like, man, and then I came into the parking lot, and right as I was coming, a car pulled out, and just in time I saw it, and I was able to swerve. You know what? Praise Jesus for that. Let's learn to say that. If you believe for a second Jesus had anything to do with that, they don't have to be a believer in Jesus, but you can give Jesus credit because you know. And what that does is it starts to point people to Jesus. Then explain him. It just points people to Jesus as a real person who acts in real time and is very present. So I'm just asking you, has Jesus done anything for you? And if he has, testify. And by testify, I mean I'm about to give you all two minutes in church. Here's your assignment. Find somebody in the room that you do not know. Tell them your name and one thing that Jesus has done for you. It could be as simple as he gave me cereal this morning and I love cereal. That's it. Does not have to be fancy. Does not have to be a big deal. You have about five seconds from now to think about what you may want to share. But hey, introduce yourself to somebody and share something really simple. And please come back, introverts. Please come back next time. I'm never going back to this church. What is this place? But listen, if we can't do it in a place with each other, when we walk out of this room, what are the chances? Let's be honest. What are the chances? Ready? Go.